Yes, praise the Lord. <laughs> okay, uh, saints, uh, the subject for this uh, conference, as we saw last night, is the need for a new revival. The need for a new revival. And uh, when we talk about a new revival, again, we're not talking about the revivals in Christianity. We're talking about a revival that will change this age. From the age of grace, the age of the church, to the age of the kingdom of a thousand years. We're talking about a revival that will bring the Lord back. That will bring the Lord back. And so, uh, if we're going to have such a revival, we need the vision of the age. We need to live the life of the age. And we need to do the work of the age. What is the vision of the age? The vision of the age is that we would reach the highest peak of the divine revelation. And the life of the age is the God-man living. We want to live the life of a God-man. We want to aspire to live the life of a God-man and allow the Spirit to lead us into the reality of living the life of a God-man. Then we want to do the work of the age. What is the work of the age? The work of the age is shepherding according to God. And according to God means according to God's nature, desire, way, and preference. According to his nature, desire, way, preference, and purpose. You know, uh, last night we talked about the highest peak of the divine revelation. I would just like to mention something very practical related to this. And uh, this is in the book of Job. Uh, Job 10.13, the, the verse is Job 10.13. And actually, this verse is the key to the book of Job. You know, philosophers uh, use the book of Job to ask the question, why? Why do God's people suffer? And what is the purpose of God in his dealing with his chosen ones? So this question is resounding in man, why? Why did this happen? Why am I going through this? Uh, well, Job went through a lot. He w we know he went through a lot of suffering. And so he had this question, why, resigning in his being. Well, Job, well let me just tell you this. Uh, I took a course in, uh, in Old Testament studies in college. I went to a secular university. The person who taught this course was probably an unbeliever. And uh, anyway, the final exam was on the book of Job. We had to write an essay on the book of Job, and I got an A. But if you had given me that paper now, I would give myself an F. Because it was really, really terrible, really terrible. Well, Job 10.13 is the key to the book of Job. Job is struggling with God, and then he makes this statement in the in the in Job ten thirteen, he said, "I know you have these things hidden in your heart. I know you have these things hidden in your heart." In other words, Job knew something was hidden in God's heart concerning him, but he didn't know what it was. He didn't know what it was. According to according to the scriptures, to know what is hidden in God's heart for us. When we're passing through things, we have to go to Ephesians 3.9. 
Ephesians 3.9. And here Paul says his commission is to enlighten everyone, that they might see what the economy of the mystery is, which was hidden in God throughout the ages, throughout the ages. So what is hidden in God's heart concerning us? It is his economy. This is very, very practical when we're going through things. Just remember, what is hidden in God's heart for you is God's economy. And what is God's economy practically, experientially, subjectively, is that God would dispense himself into our being to make us his corporate expression. When you are passing through, when we pass through things, we get real with the Lord. We don't pray doctrinal prayers. We get real with the Lord. He becomes more real to us. He becomes more real to us. And then his dispensing is not just a theory. It's not just a, a objective. But his dispensing becomes very, very real to us. And, and in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulations, in the midst of things we're passing through, even in this meeting, we need to have a prayer, Lord, dispense yourself into my being, Lord. I came to this meeting this morning so that you could dispense yourself into my being. Otherwise, my being in the meeting is in vain. Otherwise, our passing through things is in vain. All of us pass through things. Why do we pass through things? It's because of God's economy. God wants to dispense himself into our being, into our being. Now, another thing I would like to share with you is this, which is quite precious to me, is that the three aspects of the new revival match the three aspects of the New Testament ministry, the New Testament ministry. Firstly, uh, uh, the first aspect of the New Testament ministry is the ministry of the Spirit. This is in 2 Corinthians 3.8. 2 Corinthians 3.8 talks about the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of the Spirit. Now, if you go back to verse 6, Paul said, God made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives the Zoe life, the eternal life, the uncreated life. If you go back further to verse 3, now this is very important. I hope you can get this. In verse 3, Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ ministered by us, Inscribed not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tablets of stone, but in tablets of hearts of flesh. So, what Paul was doing when he was ministering the Word to the saints in Corinth is he was writing living letters of Christ. He said, Be manifested that you are a letter of Christ ministered by us. Inscribed not with ink, but he was inscribing them with the spirit of the living God, with Christ as the content, not in tablets of stone, but in soft hearts, in tablets of hearts of flesh. So we want to allow the Lord to inscribe himself on us this morning. We want to allow him to inscribe the spirit of the living God on our hearts with Christ as the content, 
When we get under the New Testament ministry, the spirit of the living God is inscribed into us with Christ as the content, and we get Christified. We get Christ. This is the highest peak of the divine revelation. This is the ministry of the spirit. We get Christified. We get deified. We get deified. Now, if you go back, this is 2 Corinthians 3, 3. If you go back to verse 2, verse 2. Now, I hope you can follow me. This is really marvelous. He said, he said this. He said, you are our letter. You Corinthians are our letter. Inscribed in our hearts. Known and read by all men. Now, even though verse 2 comes before verse 3, verse 3 comes before verse 2 in our experience. Firstly, he says, be, I'll say that again, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, ministered by us, inscribed not with ink, but with the spirit of the, of the living God, not in tablets of stone, but in tablets of hearts of flesh. Then he says, you are our letter, inscribed in our hearts, you see, known and read by all men. So there's two, there's, there's, uh, there's two original copies of the same letter going on here. The same letter is being written, and there's two original copies of that same letter. Now, uh, Daniel, could you come up here and help me? Now, I have a particular pen, and a sister gave me this pen. Don't worry, I won't write on you. Uh, <laughs> But look at this pen. It comes out both ways. Can you see that? Can you see that pen? I've never seen a pen like that. Can you see that? Okay, now, while I'm ministering to Daniel, uh, I'm writing on him with the Spirit of the living God, with Christ as the content. While I'm doing that, the same letter is being written in my heart. So it's two original copies of the same letter. And this is two hearts becoming one. This is the real New Testament ministry. So, when you inscribe Christ on someone's heart with the spirit of the living God, then they become your letter, inscribed in your hearts, known and read by all men. I say again, this is two original copies of the same letter. Isn't that wonderful? This is two hearts becoming one. Thank you, Daniel. Two hearts becoming one. You all need to get a pen like this. But anyway, you should get a pen like this in reality, right? This is two hearts becoming one. And saints, this is why when we minister Christ to someone, we can never forget the people we ministered Christ to. And we can never forget the people who ministered Christ to us. Am I right? Someone really ministered Christ to us, we can never forget that person. If, if, if we really ministered Christ to someone, we can never forget that person because this is two hearts becoming one. It's not a doctrinal thing, but it's very experiential, very subjective, and very real. Very real. Uh, I, should have, I should probably save this story for the message on shepherding, but I'll share it now. You know, my salvation, uh, uh, maybe like a lot of yours, were a lot of steps in my salvation that led up to my salvation. And uh, uh, one step was this pastor who I had when I was a junior hire. Uh, and for some reason, I was unsaved, 
My friend was unsaved. We got saved later. But we were naughty junior hires in this place. You know, if you, if you, if you serve with the junior hires, you've got to be an overcomer. Uh, and to me, that's the hardest service. I've served with the junior hires, and uh, they're not there like this. Amen, Brother Ed. Drawing out the word, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, we, had, uh, we had Sunday school, you know, in the formal denomination. We had Sunday school. So uh, my friend said to me, he said, Ed, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. And that, that place where we went was in a very rough neighborhood. It was right near the steel mills. So uh, we went down to 8th Avenue. We found this 24-hour restaurant. It's 9 a.m. And we got huge ice cream sundaes at 9 a.m. in the morning. And we're eating these ice cream sundaes, and we're giving one another five. All right, you know, we don't have to go to Sunday school. We're eating ice cream sundaes on, on, on Sunday, you know, quote, quote, quote. And anyway, anyway, we're eating this. All of a sudden, my friend's face turned pale as a sheet. And I realized there's someone behind me. And I thought it was a policeman. And so I said, oh, my goodness, what is going on here? So I turned behind me. It was the pastor. It was the pastor. He found out that we had, we had played hooky from the, uh, from the uh, service, from the denominational service. And he went down to 8th Avenue and hunted for us. Can you imagine that? I would have been worried about my sermon. But he hunted for us. Maybe he was just a good hunter. He realized they're probably in this 24-hour restaurant. Anyway, he went in there, and when he saw what we were eating, he, he had to hold back the laughter. He, he said, what are you guys doing? And I said, Pastor McLeod, we're eating Sundays. We're eating Sundays. And so he sat down with us. He had some fellowship with us, and he brought us back. He brought us back. But I never forgot that because he didn't condemn us. He didn't condemn us because he was in our hearts and we were in his heart. Uh, uh, he had the ground with us. He had the ground with us and he brought us back with him. So I still love him to this day. I love him very much. He had something to do with my salvation because he inscribed the spirit of the living God on my heart with Christ as the content to Christify me. He didn't have any of those terms, but that's what he did. One time his wife told me, Ed, one day you're going to be like Timothy. And I said, okay, Mrs. McLeod. And then I left and I said, I'm never going to be like Timothy. <laughs> you know, but she just infused me with Christ and she prophesied Christ into my being. Amen. I really appreciate that. Okay, so we have the ministry of the Spirit. This is the highest peak of the divine revelation in practicality. This is 2 Corinthians 3.8. Then in 2 Corinthians 3, 9, you have the ministry of righteousness. The ministry of righteousness is the God and living, is, the, is, is living the life of a God-man. Why do I say this? Because the ministry of righteousness is the ministry of subjective righteousness. It's the ministry and subjective righteousness is the living out and genuine expression of Christ. The living out and genuine expression of Christ. And what is the living out and genuine expression of Christ? The living out and genuine expression of Christ is the God-man living. 
This is what the ministry we're under. Bring us into such a living. A living that's the living out and genuine expression of Christ. Isn't it wonderful to be under the New Testament ministry? That ministers to us the living out and genuine expression of Christ. I, I just think, you know, I could say a lot on this, but, but I just think it's, it's a miracle. When you see, when you consider, brothers, a lot of us on the front row, we're older brothers, we've been around a while. You consider when we came in the recovery and how we are now. And we've got a long way to go. But still, if you go back 30 years, there's a big difference, right? Because we've been under a ministry that ministers to us the living out and genuine expression of Christ. That is the living of a God-man. Then when you come to 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, what you have there is the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. Paul says we are ambassadors of Christ. And God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has put in us a word of reconciliation. In other words, we used to be enemies of God. But when Paul ministered the word to unbelievers, they were reconciled to God. They were reconciled out of the world into the outer court of the tabernacle. Well, that reconciliation doesn't stop there because he told the Corinthians, be reconciled to God. In other words, I don't want you to remain in the outer court. I don't even want you to remain in the holy place. I want you to be reconciled all the way into the Holy of Holies where there's no distance between you and God, where you and God are absolutely one, and there's no distance between you and God. That is shepherding according to God. Isn't that wonderful, saints? We are ambassadors of Christ. We have a ministry of reconciliation. We want people to be reconciled to God. That is shepherding according to God. And we are ambassadors of Christ. Um, many of you probably heard me tell this story. Uh, one time I was going through Miami, uh, through the, uh, uh, you know, they were the x-ray machines, whatever that is. Uh, I forget, uh, you know, what, what more? Screening. Yeah, screening, right. Screening. I was going through screening. And this young man, he looked at me and he said, Sir, you look like a senator. Are you a senator? <laughs> and I said, I said, my goodness, what should I answer him? This was taking place within me. I said, you know, I'm not a senator. I'm an ambassador of Christ. <laughs> and you know what he said? He said, that's much better. <laughs> that's much better. <laughs> and it is much better. It is much better. All of us are ambassadors of Christ with the ministry of reconciliation so that we can shepherd people according to God. Okay, now let's come to the outline. We'll come to the outline now. Uh, Roman number one. Now, we want to talk about the vision of the age in this meeting, the vision of the age. So Roman number one talks, uh, says, among God's elect, there has always been an aspiration to be revived. If we're not revived, there's an aspiration in us to be revived. You know, when I go to Japan, I, I, I like going to Japan for many reasons. Of course, I'm burdened for the saints there. But I wake up very early because of jet lag, very, very early. So I see the sunrise every morning. And the sunrise is a type of Christ. 
Luke 1, 78 and 79 says this, Because of the merciful compassions of our God, in which the rising sun will visit us from on high, to shine upon those sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the rise of Christ is the rising sun. He visits us from on high. We need him to visit us from on high every day as the rising sun. Amen. Our sun, our, our S-O-N is an S-U-N. And he's the rising sun. He's not the setting sun. And that's Judges 5.31. The Lord through Deborah said, May those who love him be like the sun when it rises in its might. That's how we should be. We should be like the sun when it rises in its might. In Matthew 13.43, this verse tells us that all the overcomers shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That means we become the same as Christ in life and nature, but not in the Godhead, because we shine forth like him. He's the sun, we're the sun. And we shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of our Father, in the kingdom of our Father. So there's always been an aspiration to be revived. This is Habakkuk 2.3. I'm sorry, Habakkuk 3.2. Habakkuk 3.2 says, O Jehovah, revive your work in the midst of the years. Revive your work in the midst of the years. O Jehovah, revive your work in me in the midst of the years. Now, he prayed this prayer 2,600 years ago, and as one person, he represents the whole body of God's elect. He represents the whole body of God's elect. Because there's a prayer in us, O Jehovah, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. Revive your work in me in the midst of the years. Bring in a new revival. In Hosea 6.2, Hosea 6.2 says, He will enliven us after two days. On the third day, he will raise us up, and we will live in his presence. On the third day, he will raise us up, and we will live in his presence. You know, I'd like to read you a portion uh, a portion from the ministry here. Uh let me get this situated here. A portion from the ministry here. It says, on the one hand, Habakkuk prayed for revival. On the other hand, Hosea spoke of the desolation of the two days and the resurrection on the third day. He will enliven us after two days. On the third day, he will raise us up. Since to God a thousand years are as one day, Second Peter 3.8, these two days may refer to a period of 2,000 years. For almost 2,000 years from the time Titus destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in A.D. 70, Israel, our representative, has been desolate. From that year, Israel lost the priesthood, the sacrifices, the prophets, the king, and the temple. Eventually, there will be the third day, the thousand years of the millennial kingdom. When Israel will be raised up, that is restored. The principle is the same in our Christian life. At a certain time, we become desolate. After the two days of desolation, there is the third day, which signifies the pneumatic Christ in resurrection. Today, we may receive the pneumatic Christ in resurrection and thus enjoy the reality of his resurrection. 
if we have the resurrected Christ, we are in the morning. We are in the sun rising, and this is a real revival to us, a real revival to us. Eventually, Haggai 2.7 says that when the Lord comes back, he will come back as the desire of all the nations. Malachi 4.2 says that when he comes back, he will come back as the son of righteousness. In Romans 8.20-22, it says that the whole creation wants a revival. The whole creation is waiting to be revived, is waiting to be freed from the, from the slavery of corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Okay, now we come to Roman numeral 2. This says we can enter into a new revival by arriving at the highest peak of the divine revelation, the vision of the age, through the ministry of the age. A says, the particular recovery and work that God is doing in one age is the ministry of that age. Now I have Genesis 6.16 here, and Genesis 6.16 talks about the building of the ark with Noah. Noah had the ministry of that age. He had the vision of the age. He had the ministry of that age. He was a minister of the age. If you were at Noah's time, you shouldn't say, well, I can do what Noah does. I'll build a speedboat in my backyard. Well, if you do that, that boat will sink. That boat will sink. You have to join yourself to Noah, to the minister of the age, with the vision of the age, so that you can carry out what God is doing in that age. Now, the ark is a type of Christ. The ark is a type of the personal Christ. The ark is a type of the corporate Christ. Uh, why do I say the personal Christ and the corporate Christ? Because we are building up the ark. We're building up Christ in our experience. We build up the personal Christ in our experience for the building up of the corporate Christ for Christ's full expression. So we need to build up Christ in our experience so that the corporate Christ can be built up for Christ's expression. Now we know that the ark had three stories, had three stories, the lower, the second, and the third. And these three stories signify the triune God, signify the triune God. The Spirit brings us to the Son, and the Son brings us to the Father. And when we come to the Father, we are in the third story. We are in the third story. Now, if I have a home that has three stories, and my bedroom's on the three story, third story, my office is on the third story, I have hidden treasures on the third story, I'm just not going to invite anyone up to the third story. I'm just, I'm not, just not going to say, come on in. Brother, brother, what's your name? Ben. Oh, my, my grandson's name is Ben. That's a good name, Ben. You see, Ben, if you came to my house, I wouldn't invite you right up to the third story, right? Sorry, because I don't know you that well, right? But if we became intimate, we got to know one another a lot, then I would invite you to the third story. You see, so, so we need to enter into the highest and deepest intimate intimacy with the triune God so that he can bring us to the third story to show us his mysteries, secrets, and hidden treasures, and hidden treasures. Now, on the third story, there was a skylight. There was an opening for light 
That was the one opening in the ark so that light could shine through. So just as there was only one window, one opening in the ark, there is only one window, one revelation, and one vision through one ministry in God's building. So you have one revelation through one ministry, uh, one, one, one window, one re revelation, one vision through one ministry in God's building. That is the vision of the ark that we need to enter into. Okay, now we have 2 Kings 2, 1 through 15, which I enjoy very much this portion. This talks about Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. Elisha had the ministry of the age at that time. He had the vision of that age. And Elijah followed him very closely. Followed him very closely. Uh, you know, there were 50 sons of the prophets who were looking from afar. And I still remember when I first touched recovery, a brother shared this with me. He didn't share this with all these details that I'm going to share with you. But he just said this to me. He said, Ed, I want to ask you, do you want to be Elisha with Elijah in the center of the Lord's move? Or do you want to be on the periphery with the sons of the prophets looking in on the center of the Lord's move. And oh, something just rose up in my heart. I said, I want to be in the center of the Lord's move. Center of the Lord's move. And and the Lord honored that prayer. I'm so glad I'm in the center. I'm so glad. Aren't you glad you're in the center of the Lord's move? Amen. We're all in the center of the Lord's move by the Lord's mercy. Okay, now if you look at this portion... It says, when Jehovah was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind into heaven, Elijah went with Elijah from Gilgal. There's four crucial journeys that Elijah makes. And these four crucial journeys we need to make to enter into the ministry of the age and to change this age. Firstly, he was at Gilgal. Gilgal means that you are circumcised to deal with your flesh. You're circumcised to deal with your flesh. Galatians 5.24 says that uh, those who are crucified have dealt with the flesh with its passions and its lusts. So, we're crucified to deal with the flesh. Then Elijah said to Elisha, he said, Stay here, for Jehovah has sent me as far as Bethel. This was a test to Elisha. He says, Stay here, for Jehovah has sent me as far as Bethel. And I love what Elisha said. He said, as Jehovah lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. That should be our attitude toward the minister of the age, toward the ministry of the age, with the vision of the age. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. We need to have a vision of the vision of the age. We need to have a vision of the ministry of the age. And we need to closely follow the ministry of the age. And again I say, I like what Elisha said. He says, as Jehovah lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So uh, he went to Bethel. Bethel is the place where we give up the world and turn to God absolutely, taking God as everything. Of course, we know Bethel means the house of God. This is the place where we give up the world, turn to God absolutely, and take God as everything. Take God as everything. 
Then he went from Bethel to Jericho, to Jericho. And again he said to him, he, he said to Elisha, he said, stay here for Joe has sent me to Jericho. And, and Elisha said to Elisha, he says, as Jehovah lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. I will not leave you. So Jericho, uh, Jericho me, means Satan. It means curse. Jericho means curse. It implies Satan. Jericho is a city built by Satan. So we need to learn how to defeat Satan. How do we defeat Satan? According to Revelation 12:11, we overcome him because of the blood of the Lamb. Not because we're perfect brothers and sisters, but because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of our testimony. And the word of our testimony is to declare the divine facts. And one divine fact that we can declare this morning, on Saturday morning, is that Jesus is Lord. And then he went to the Jordan. He went to the Jordan. And Jordan signifies death. Signifies death. This means we have to pass through death if we're going to enter into a new age and into the new revival. We have to pass through death. In Acts 2.24, this tells us that death cannot hold the resurrection life. Philippians 3.10 says we need to know the power of Christ's resurrection so that we can be conformed to his death. So, we need to, we need to, we need to pass through uh, the Jordan. This brings us from the Old Testament age with the Old Testament economy into the New Testament age with the New Testament economy. This brings us from Elijah's ministry to Elisha's ministry. But I want to impress you that Elisha entered into Elijah's ministry. He entered into the ministry of the age. He entered into the vision of the age. And as a result, uh, something marvelous happened. Elijah asked Elisha, he said, what do you want from me? I'm going to be raptured. Chariots of fire are going to take me up into heavens. What do you want? You can ask me anything and I'll give you your request. And Elisha said to Elijah, I want a double portion of your spirit. I want a double portion of your spirit. And he got what he, he, he received, what he requested. Because he took Elijah's mantle, he struck the river Jordan with it, the river Jordan separated, and the sons of the prophet says, said, the spirit of Elijah rests upon Elisha. The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. So, this is how we need to be, how our attitude needs to be toward the ministry of the age with the vision of the age. Now, uh, B says, in every age there is the vision of that age, and we have to serve God according to the vision of that age. We have to serve God according to the vision of that age. You know, um, I'd like to read, read this to you. This is from uh, the Resumption of Watchman Nee's ministry, and it's called Brokenness and Ministry on page 528 and 529. We put out two volumes of the Resumption of Watchman Nee's ministry. This is on page 528 and 529. 
and they asked Brother Nee a question. And the question was, how should Jonathan in the Old Testament choose his way? And Brother Nee answered this way. He said, in the Old Testament, both Solomon and David represented the Lord. The two persons represented the one ministry in two separate ways. In the Old Testament, there were many ministries. After Moses, the judges were raised up. After that, there was Solomon, the kings, and the prophets. After the Israelites were taken into, into captivity, the vessels for the recovery were raised up. The Old Testament is filled with different kinds of ministries. In every age, there is the ministry of that age. These ministries of the ages are different from the local ministers. This is very important. These ministries of the ages are different from the local ministers. You know, we had some among us in, in a previous turmoil in 1988. They said, oh, well, Brother Lee can do this. We can do the same thing. But they didn't see that they were local ministers. They, they didn't have the ministry of the age, and they were not the minister of the age. Uh, you know, my footnotes are in my pocket PC. But just try to write footnotes that you see in your recovery version. Uh, none of us can do it because we don't have, we are not the minister of the age with the ministry of the age. We have to recognize who is the minister of the age, who has the ministry of the age, and that if we do have ministry, we are local ministers. So Brother Nee goes on, he says, Luther was a minister of his age. Darby was also a minister of his age. In every age, the Lord has special things that he wants to accomplish. He has his own recoveries and his own works to do. The particular recovery and work that he is doing in one age is the ministry of that age. Jonathan stood between Saul and David. He was one man standing between two ministries. What he should have done was to follow the second ministry. He should have said, Dad, I love you very much, but I've got to follow David absolutely. Because with him is the vision of the age and the ministry of that age. However, because Jonathan's relationship with the first ministry was too deep, he could not disentangle himself from it. In order to catch up with the ministry of the age, there is the need for us to see the vision. Michael was married to David, yet she did not see anything. She only saw David's condition before God, and she could not tolerate it. As a result, she was left behind. It is God's mercy that a person can see and come into contact with the ministry of that age. Praise the Lord for God's mercy on all of us. Yet it is altogether a different thing for a man to take up courage to forsake the past ministry. It is a precious thing to see, and it is a blessed thing to come into contact with something. Yet whether or not one can set aside his past ministry is entirely up to God's mercy. Is entirely up to God's mercy. So again, I'll read B again to you. In every age there is the vision of that age, and we have to serve God according to the vision of the age. According to the vision of the age. C says this. God's word reveals to us that in every age, he gives only one vision to man. One says, in order for us to serve God today, our vision must extend all the way 
from the first vision of Adam in Genesis to the ultimate vision of John in Revelation. Today we can be in one accord because we have only one vision, an up-to-date, all-inheriting vision, the vision of the eternal economy of God, the vision of the eternal economy of God. You know, there's this mural in the National Palace Museum in Taiwan, and it's called The River Scene at Qingming Festival. And uh, I encourage you all to see that, because it depicts the culture, life, and way of the Chinese people at the time of the painting. And it is, it is just huge. I mean, it is, it is as big as this ceiling about. It goes all the way to that wall, all the way to that wall, maybe longer. Maybe I got a smaller version. It's about 20 feet long, the smaller version. Anyway, we have our river scene. And our river scene goes all the way from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We have the whole mural of God's economy open up to us. Open up to us. And God's revelations are cumulative. In other words, if you're at one point of the mural, if you're at this point of the mural, let's say the mural begins down there. If you're at this point of the mural, it, it includes all the foregoing of the mural. You see that? If you're at the end of the mural, it includes the whole mural. The whole mural. So in the same way, we have seen the New Jerusalem. And now our vision extends all the way from the New Jerusalem, Revelation 22, all the way to Genesis 1-1, and all the way to Adam in Genesis uh, 1 and 2. 1 and 2. Okay, maybe I'll just say that much about, about that. Okay, uh, there's a lot to say, a lot to say about these things. I hope we can see these things. Uh, we have an all-inheriting vision. We have an up-to-date vision. We have the vision of the eternal economy of God. You know, it's just like you have Adam, Abel, Enosh, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Well, if you go to Adam, and then you go to Abel, Abel's vision includes Adam's vision. Adam, Abel, Enosh. Enosh called on the name of the Lord, but his vision also includes Abel's vision and Adam's vision. So you have Adam, Abel, Enosh, Enoch. Enoch was a co-walker with God, a co-walker with God. Then you have Noah. Noah walked with God, too. He wasn't just a co-worker of God. He was a co-walker of God. Then you have Abraham. He, he lived by faith. You have Isaac. He inherited grace. Uh, Abraham, Isaac. You have Jacob. He was transformed in life. He was matured in life. And, the, uh, and then you have Joseph. He was reigning in life. When you come to Joseph, his vision includes all the foregoing visions all the way back to Adam. When you come to Elijah, his vision includes all the foregoing visions. Do you see this? Now, here we are in church history. And uh, in church history, you have Martin Luther, you have, Zin you have, uh, you have Madame Guillaume, you have Zinzendorf, you have Darby, you have, you have Witness Lee, you have Watchman Nee, you have Witness Lee. Their vision includes all the foregoing visions. So we are standing on the shoulders of our brothers to see the entire mural of God's eternal economy. 
Isn't that wonderful? We shouldn't take for granted where we are in church history. We, we are looking at the entire mural, the entire river scene of God's eternal economy. Now, Roman numeral 3 says in 2 Peter 1.12, the present truth can also be rendered the up-to-date truth. A says, although all the truths are in the Bible, through man's foolishness, unfaithfulness, negligence, and disobedience, many truths were lost and hidden from man. Now, I have 2 Kings 22.8 here, because this was during the reign of Josiah. Josiah was a good king. He began to reign when he was eight years old. Can you imagine that? He began to reign when he was eight years old. And when he was 26 years old, God put something in him to restore the temple, to clean up the temple of its idols and all the trash in the temple. The temple had been trashed with idols, with idolatry. So he wanted to clean up the temple. So as they were cleaning up the temple, you know what they found? They found the Bible. They found their Bible. It says, Then Kai the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of Jehovah. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. Then they took it to Josiah, and they read, the book of the law was their Bible. And they read that Bible to, to Josiah, and Josiah read his garments. He said, we're in big trouble, because if everything in this book is true, we haven't followed the precepts in this book. And he repented deeply. And because he repented deeply, there was a big revival in the land. Saints, our revival starts with the Bible. Amen. Starts with the Bible. Even our personal revival begins with the Bible, right? That's why in Holy Word for Morning Revival, the first thing you see in that gray box is two verses from the Bible. And then you have some ministry to open up the Bible. It doesn't replace the Bible but it expounds the Bible, it opens up the Bible, and it releases the riches in the Bible. So, our recovery starts with the Bible. Now, B says, freshly revealed truths are not God's new inventions. Rather, they are man's new discoveries. Every worker of the Lord should inquire before God as to what the present truth is. God's truths are cumulative. Later truths do not negate former ones. What we see today are the cumulative revelations of God. D says, May God be gracious to us that we do not become the castaways of the present truth. May we be watchful, and may we not allow the flesh to come in or the self to gain any ground. Now, Roman numeral 4 says this. It says, The highest peak of the divine revelation given to us by God, the present truth, is the revelation of the eternal economy of God. A says the entire Bible. You know, we shouldn't take these phrases for granted. They're just worth, they're of untold worth. The entire Bible, which is the explanation of the eternal economy of God, and this next phrase is just a jewel to me, is the autobiography of the triune God. So this book here, the Bible, it was written by the triune God, 
It was written about the triune God. So the Bible is the autobiography of the triune God seen in the two sections of eternity and on the bridge of time. Now, you can say the Bible is our biography. And when we experience the Bible, we are writing our autobiography. Our autobiography. Saints, the entire Bible is about the journeying triune God. The journeying. He's making a journey. He's journeying out of eternity past, across the bridge of time, into eternity future. And he journeys out of, out of time, out of eternity past, into time with his divinity, into humanity. He's the incarnated God. Then he became, then he passed through human living. He was crucified. He entered into resurrection. He became the compounded God. And because of the degradation of the church, he became the intensified God. Then he got into us. And he's still journeying in us. Still journeying in us. He journeyed into our spirit. That's his destination. He regenerated us, right? Then after he regenerates us, he renews us. He transforms us. Uh, he conforms us to his image. Eventually, he glorifies us. And then he steps off the bridge of time in us and with us into eternity future as the new Jerusalem. Isn't that wonderful? So we, we become united, mingled, and incorporated with him as the new Jerusalem. Now that brings us to one. In the Old Testament, there is the single but triune God from eternity past, indirectly moving only with men and among men. Two says he came from eternity into time and with his divinity to enter into humanity to become the incarnated God, his direct move in man, seen in the four Gospels for the accomplishment of his judicial redemption. So his direct move in man started with his incarnation. Then in resurrection, he became the compounded God. He's not just the incarnated God, he's the compounded God. He's the all-inclusive, life-giving spirit seen in the Acts and the Epistles for the carrying out of his organic salvation. Just to give you a little foretaste in this upcoming training, we will have three messages on the compound spirit. Three messages on the compound. It would be really wonderful. Really wonderful. So he's the compounded God. That means all the elements of his person, his work, his accomplishments, his obtainments are compounded into the spirit, are compounded into the spirit. Uh, we know in Exodus 30, 22 through 25, you have olive oil, which signifies the spirit of God, compounded with myrrh. Myrrh was a painkiller. Myrrh was also used to heal the body when it gave off the wrong kind of secretions. So if you're in pain, you need to call on the name of the Lord. Amen. It kills your pain. And if you're giving off the wrong kind of secretions, call on the name of the Lord. Amen. Then you have cinnamon. Cinnamon is the sweetness and effectiveness of Christ's death. Cinnamon was used as a heart stimulant. So when you call on the name of the Lord, when you say, Lord Jesus, I love you, the Spirit stimulates your heart to make you happy and joyful in the Lord. 
Then you have calamus, which is a reed shooting up out of a swamp or out of a muddy ground. And this is Christ within us. When we call on the name of the Lord, he just shoots up from within us. That's the precious resurrection of Christ. And then we have Keisha. Keisha was used in ancient times as an insect and snake repellent. So when we call on the name of the Lord, we say, Lord Jesus, I love you. When we're in the meeting with the saints, there are no insects here and there are no snakes here. Especially the biggest snake is the devil, right? He's not here because we're meeting with the saints. So he's the compounded God. Then four says, because of the degradation of the church, he became the intensified God, the sevenfold intensified life-giving spirit seen in Revelation 1 through 20 for the producing of the overcomers. So he's the intensified God for the producing of the overcomers. Saints, we need to pray uh, just a short prayer, prayer every day. And we need to pray, Lord, make me an overcomer. Lord, make me an overcomer. Don't, don't take the lie that you can't be an overcomer. The Lord wants you to be an overcomer. And an overcomer is a normal Christian. An overcomer is not a super Christian. An overcomer is a normal Christian who has a normal Christian faith, lives a normal Christian life, and lives a normal Christian church life. Okay, there's a lot here, but I'll go on. I'll go on. Five says, in eternity future, he will be the corporate God, the new Jerusalem, seen in Revelation 21 and 22, for the universal divine human incorporation of the processed and consummated triune God with the regenerated, transformed, and glorified believers as the goal of God's eternal economy. You know, if you look at Genesis 1 and 2, what you see is the organic blueprint of God's building. If you look at Revelation 21 and 22, what you have is the organic masterpiece of God's building. And so uh, in Genesis 1 and 2, you see man as a vessel created according to God's kind so that man could contain God and express God. And then you have the tree of life as the center of God's economy. Well, when you come to the end of the Bible, after sin is put away, what you see is a corp vessel. That's the New Jerusalem, containing God and expressing God according to God's kind. And what you see in the New Jerusalem is the tree of life, the tree of life. So, saints, always remember this related to the tree of life. The primary matter in church life is that we would eat the tree of life. The primary matter in the church life is that we would enjoy Christ as our life supply, that is to eat him as the tree of life. Then you have a river of water of life flowing out to reach the four directions of the earth. In the New Jerusalem, you have a river coming out of the throne, reaching the four directions of the city. Uh, at the flow of the river in Genesis 2, there are three kinds of precious materials for God's building. There's gold, there's delium, and there's onyx stone. Delium is a pearl-like substance. Onyx stone is a precious stone. When you go to the New Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem is constructed with gold, pearls, and precious stones. Gold signifies God the Father in his divine nature. Pearl signifies God the Son in his life-secreting death 
and his life-imparting resurrection. And uh, precious stones signifies God the Spirit in his transforming work. Then the goal of all of this is the producing of a couple. And this couple is a great corporate God-man. And this couple is the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is a couple as one entity. What is the New Jerusalem? The New Jerusalem is a great corporate God-man. Where the husband dwells in the wife, and the wife dwells in the husband. In Revelation 21.3, it says, We are the tabernacle of God for God to dwell in. In Revelation 21.22, it says, The Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are the temple for us to dwell in. So it's the mutual abode of God and man. Now 6 says, Thus the central revelation of God and the Lord's recovery is God becoming the flesh, the flesh becoming the life-giving spirit, the life-giving spirit becoming the sevenfold intensified spirit to build the church that becomes the body of Christ and that consummates in the New Jerusalem. And that consummates the New Jerusalem. Let's say six all together. on to say, God becoming man, that man might become God in life and in nature, but not in the Godhead, is the essence of the entire Bible, the diamond in the box of the Bible, the eternal economy of God, the eternal economy of God. You know, if I had some hot water up here, and I had a tea bag, I could illustrate with teaification. When you put a, a tea bag in the tea, it gets teaified. Just like when the divine tea bag came into our spirit, we are getting deified. But uh, the water becomes tea, but not in the tea bag. The tea bag is incommunicable. So it becomes tea, but not in the tea bag, just like we become God, but not in the Godhead. Did you get that? Okay, praise the Lord. It's wonderful, really wonderful. Okay, one says, God became man through incarnation by participating in man's humanity. Man becomes God in life and nature, but not in the Godhead, through transformation by participating in God's divinity. A says, firstly, we participate in God's life. To participate means to partake of for enjoyment. To partake of for enjoyment. When we got regenerated, we got God's life in us. Romans 8.10 says our spirit is Zoe. Our spirit is Zoe. Zoe is the eternal life of God, the uncreated life of God, the divine life of God. So saints, I say again, no matter how we feel, our spirit is Zoe. And when you set your mind on your spirit, your mind becomes Zoe. And when you open your being up to the Lord further, and you say, Lord, dispense yourself into me. In Romans 8, 11, it says the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead, if he indwells you, that's, that spirit of the resurrecting triune God 
will give Zoe to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. Now that is not just something for the future, although it is for the future. Eventually, uh, when we're glorified, our mortal body will be swallowed up by Zoe. But when we come to the meetings, he gives Zoe to our mortal body. Am I right? Sometimes we come to the meetings, we're tired, we're out of it. We're Again, like I said last night, we can just get our bones in the chair. And, uh, and we get there and we're like this. But when we leave, we're like this. Because we got Zoe imparted into our mortal body. Okay, so we participate in God's life. That's A. Okay, then B, we participate in God's nature, in God's nature. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blemish before him in love, in love. How do we become holy in nature? Only God is holy. Only he is unique, distinct from everything that is common. How can we become holy? It says to be holy and without blemish before him in love, in love. So in the spirit and atmosphere of love, we become holy as God is in nature. This is why we need to continually say, Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord Jesus, I love you. Then we participate in God's nature. And of course, we don't have these verses on here, but 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 24 says something I really like. It says, Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. Who also will do it. And in Ephesians 5.26, it says that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the water in the word. So the way that we get sanctified, I believe we're being sanctified right now because we are getting metabolically cleansed by the washing of the water in the word. That Greek word for word there is rhema, which is the instant word the spoken word, it's the word with our name on it. The word with our name on it. Now, see, is remarkable. We can actually participate in God's mind. Ephesians 4.23 says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That means we want our mingled spirit to spread into our mind so that our mind is dominated by the spirit, controlled by the spirit, possessed by the spirit, moved by the spirit, saturated by the Spirit, and occupied with the Spirit. So this is to participate in God's mind. In Philippians 2.5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we want his mind dispensed into our mind. Our mind was made to contain the thoughts of God. Then we can participate in God's being, in God's being, through transformation. We all with unveiled face, beholding and reflecting like a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the, into the same image from glory to glory, even as from the Lord's Spirit. The Lord's Spirit is the Lord's being. We are being transformed from one degree of the Lord's Spirit to another degree of the Lord's Spirit. The Lord's Spirit is increasing within us. So, 
we are participating in God's being. C says we are participating in God's image, in God's image. This takes place mainly through confirmation, through confirmation. And uh, I would say, uh, you know, it says God causes all things to work together for good. The good there doesn't mean that something happens to your car and then God causes all things to work together for good. You get a great insurance settlement and uh, and you had a $10,000 car. Now you can buy a $20,000 car. That's not all things working together for good. All things working together for good, the good there is that we would be transformed and conformed to the image of Christ as the firstborn son of God. Then we can participate in God's glory through glorification. Jesus, we can participate in God's sonship. We are being sunized. Uh, let's see. H says we can participate in God's manifestation. The anxious watching of the creation eagerly awaits the revelation or the manifestation of the sons of God. This is to bear God's likeness. To bear God's likeness. This verse says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been manifested what we will be. We know that if he is manifested, we will be like him, because we will see him even as he is. And this is to be God kind, God's species. We become the same species as God. Then two says, this divine human romance is the subject of the entire Bible, the content of God's economy, and the secret of the entire universe. We shared that last night. Now, in Song of Songs 6.13, it says, return, return, O Shulamite. Eventually, the seeker, she becomes the Shulamite, which is the feminine form of Solomon. She becomes Solomon's duplication. She becomes Solomon's reproduction. She becomes his full expression. And then it says, why should you gaze at the Shulamite as upon the dance of two camps or two armies? Well, if you trace that Hebrew word, two armies, that Hebrew word is Mahanaim, Mahanaim. And it's mentioned in Genesis 3.2.2, where uh, uh, Jacob was about to meet Esau. He was very afraid that Esau was going to attack him for how he tricked Esau. And so uh, he had a dream that night, and the angels of God met him. And they must have appeared to him in two camps or two armies. So you know what he did? He divided his people up into two camps or two armies. And so, but these were, they, they weren't two armies. These were women and children, the weaker ones, the feeble ones. And so... Uh, they were two armies, so if Esau attacked this group, this group could escape. This group could escape. But these two armies were composed of feeble ones, weaker ones, women, and children. Saints, to be an overcomer is to be a weaker one. Is to be a weaker one. That means you are utterly helpless. Two, Brother Nee said this, two words impressed me deeply utterly helpless. That means he had to depend on the Lord for everything. Utterly helpless. So the weaker ones who depend on the Lord, they become the overcomers. 
It's not that we're so strong, we're so powerful. Revelation 3.8, related to the overcomers in Philadelphia, it says they had a little power, a little power, which means what pleases the Lord is not our doing much for him, but our doing our best for him with what we have. Our doing our best for him with what we have. Okay, A says, Christ is divine and human, and his transformed lover is human and divine. They are the same in life and nature, perfectly matching each other. B says, the triune God, consummated to be the husband, and the tripartite man, transformed to be the bride, are to be one couple, a corporate great God-man. Three says, God and man will become one entity, and that one entity is the mingling of divinity with humanity, which will consummate in the New Jerusalem, the conclusion of the entire Bible. Then our brother said this. He said, I hope that the saints in all the churches throughout the earth, especially the co-workers and the elders, and we need, we need to follow the co-workers and the elders, will see this revelation and then rise up to pray that God would give us a new revival a revival which has never been recorded in history. Let's say that all together. Saints, let's uh, let's pray with our neighbor now, and then we can have some testimonies. The brothers will be right there.